0: What is your number? What's your number? Now, I'm not talking about your sleep number mattress or the number of pounds that you would care to shed or the number of years old that you are. What's the number of dollars that you dream about having one day? We've all been fickle enough, haven't we, To dream about a rich uncle that leaves us X number of dollars as an inheritance. We've all come to the point of being ridiculous in thinking about an earthly inheritance. And even sinful in our covetousness of dollars. Or maybe it's not dollars that you're hoping to inherit. But instead it's the family farm. Or a vehicle. Or a hunting gun. Or a special piece of jewelry. Inheritance is meant to be a blessing to the recipient. The passage that we explore on this Lord's Day morning is all about inheritance. Really, the passages that we will look at for for the, the next chapters of Joshua, for however many times we look at them, the next several chapters are all about inheritance. So if you haven't done so yet, please locate Joshua chapter 13, the book of Joshua, the Old Testament book. If you beginning in the, begin at the beginning of, of the book of, of the Bible, you can go to the sixth book. The sixth book of the Bible. Today we're considering the 13th chapter of this book that records for us a partial record of the history of our promise-keeping God. Now, if you've been here with us through most of this series, you'll remember that at the beginning of the series, we kind of outlined or divided the book into to four different sections. Chapters 1 through 5 record for us Israel entering into the Promised Land. And then chapters 6 through 12 record for us fighting for the Promised Land. And so now we, we're getting ready to go into the second half and also the third division, or uh, of the four divisions of the book. And chapters 13 through 21 record for us the distributing of the Promised Land or how it's, it's, it's meted out for the, for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then in chapters 22 through 24, there's some specific admonishments given about the promised land. The first half of Joshua begins with God giving Joshua instructions. And now, the second half of the book begins with God giving His servant Joshua more instructions. Joshua 13 13 begins one of those sections of the Bible that if we were being honest with one another this morning, you might tend to skim through as you're reading through the Scriptures on your annual Bible reading plan. It's filled with names of places that we can't even pronounce. It has details that may potentially even seem boring to us as we read through. The first 12 chapters are full of action, and the second half is full of detail. One commentator put it this way, watching war movies always tends to be more exciting than participating in land surveys. That's pretty much what you, what you have in Joshua. But the key to our appreciation for the second half of Joshua is for us to see the land dis- distribution through the eyes of the Israelites. We must consider how they were processing all of this Information and the events leading up to receiving this grand inheritance. It wasn't dull to the Israelites. It wasn't boring to the Israelites. They were about to receive what had been promised to them some 500 years ago, recorded for us in Genesis chapter 12. A deep satisfaction would come to each Israelite as they heard that city after city, hill by hill, Wadi by wadi, border by border, the promise of God was being fulfilled. It's like a good book that you get into and you don't want to put, you don't want it to end. Uh, we, you want every word and detail to count. That's what these details are for the Israelites. Chapter 13 is all about two and a half tribes east of the Jordan River receiving their her- inheritance. And all the boundaries for those two-and-a-half tribes are laid out in accordance with God's perfect God's perfect plan. Friend, God has a perfect plan for you to inherit His blessings. Let's begin by considering the prelude to inheriting God's blessings. Would you please follow along? as I read from Joshua chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, and we will consider, consider the prelude to inheriting God's blessings. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. This is the land that yet remaineth. All the borders of the Philistines and of the Gersherites from Sihor, which is before Egypt, even to the borders of Ekron northward, which is counted to the Canaanites, five lords of the Philistines and of the Gazathites and of the Ashdodites and the Eschonolites and the Gittites and the Ekronites and also the Avites. From the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and of Merah, that is beside the Sidonians, unto Aphek, to the borders of the Amorites, and the land of the Gibeonites, and all Lebanon toward the sun rising, from Baal Gad unto, unto Mount Hermon, unto the entering unto Hamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon unto Mizrophoth, Maim, and all the Sidonians, Them will I drive out from before the children of Israel. Them will I drive out from before the children of Israel. Only divide thou it by lots unto the Israelites for an inheritance, as I have commanded thee. Now, therefore, divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and the tribe and the half-tribe Manasseh. Before receiving their inheritance, God reminded his children of a few things. First of all, he reminded them that in their old age they would be limited. The narrator says in in Joshua chapter 13 verse 1 that Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said it to him, Joshua, you're old and stricken in years. So God reminded his children that even in their old age they would be limited. He reminded them that there, that there was still land to be conquered, that there was still something to be done. At the end of verse 1, there remaineth yet very much land to be, to be possessed. And then he also reminded them that he was going to do a great work for them in verse number 6, that he was going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. Joshua was now old, probably around, we're well not for sure, but probably or close to Caleb's age, maybe around 85 years old. But there was still much land to be taken possession of. And the greatest help to the Israelites inheriting their land was a promise from God in verse 6 that God would drive out the enemy. Or perhaps we should say it this way, that it was really a repeated promise. The biggest help to Israel was a repeated promise that he was going to drive out the enemy. Because this is not the first time that God has made this promise to Israel. Now at this point, the big enemies had been defeated. It's the pesky, smaller enemies that were now in the way of the Israelites. And God says, I'm going to drive them out. Friend, be comforted. Be comforted by God's willingness and God's ability to help with the smaller things in your life. The God who can heal your loved one of a, of a, of a dreadful disease— is the same God who can help you find your misplaced car keys. Sometimes we foolishly, forgetfully, only go to God for the big ones. Jesus cared about feeding 5,000 men on a hillside, and he cared about a single tax collector that climbed into a tree. Be comforted on this Lord's Day. Be encouraged on this Lord's Day with God's promise to help you even in the smaller tasks that he has called you to. So God promises the, the old military leader Joshua that he himself, that God himself was going to drive out the remaining the enemy. God was going to do the work. God was going to exercise his power. God was going to exercise his sovereign will and his almighty power in order to bring the enemy to their knees so that Israel could possess the land that God had given to them so that Israel could inherit the blessing that God intended for them. Now this promise wasn't conservative, although they were smaller enemies. This wasn't a a, a very small promise. It's actually a big promise. Not because the enemy was big, but, but, but because God was covenanting with Israel to give them large portions of land under the leadership of an old, man A man stricken in his age, Golden age harvesters, you may lack the energy that you had 25 years ago, but God can still do a good, strong work through you. Consider this morning your work that God still has for you to accomplish. You may no longer have that energy to lead a ministry or to do a lot physically, but spending your time praying for gospel workers and fellow church members, that's not a work that's to be underestimated. Connecting with younger adults to, to mentor them or to encourage them or to pray them with them, that is strong, good work. God worked through Joshua in his eighth decade of life, And he can do the same through you. I was thinking as we were singing this morning of of this part of the sermon. And in someone, I I won't mention this individual because I didn't clear it with him ahead of time. But at Golden Age Harvester, I was just thinking about them, how God is using them to touch five or six different individuals and how God is using them to encourage HBCers to continue in the good work that God is doing in them. Praise God for the work that he's doing through our golden age harvesters. God can accomplish his work with or without us, an alive Joshua or a dead Joshua. God's will was going to come to pass. Nothing could stop that. In other words, everlasting God is not hindered by mortal man. God repeated his promise to his people that he would drive out the enemy from the land, and God's people would have the inheritance that he desired for them to have. He was going to bless them. He was going to give them this inheritance. He was going to bring this to pass, what he had promised hundreds of years ago. God has a perfect plan for you to inherit his blessings. So that's the prelude to inheriting God's blessings. But let's now consider that, that the fact that it's not all smooth sailing for Israel. Let's consider, secondly this morning, the enemy to inheriting God's blessing. What is the enemy of of inheriting God's blessings? The enemy for us in inheriting God's blessing is our own unbelief, our own disobedience. The enemy of our receiving and inheriting God's blessings is our own unbelief, it's our own distrust, it's our own disobedience. Unfortunately, we see Israel making a poor decision in the process of inheriting God's blessings to them. Look down at verse number 13 with me of of chapter 13. God had been giving them instructions, providing borders for them. And then in verse 13 it says, Nevertheless, the children of Israel expelled not the Gersherites, nor the Makathites. But the Gersherites and the Makathites dwell among the Israelites until the sons of Israel did not dispossess or drive out the Gershrites and the Megathites. Joshua was only required to allot to the tribe. You remember reading in verse number 6. God says, I will drive them out. You only have to allot the land. So Joshua was required to allot to the tribe their specific inheritance. And the tribe's The individual tribes were each responsible to go in and to occupy. Their task was to take possession. Each tribe had a responsibility to possess the land that that was allotted to them. But the sons of Israel did not dispossess or drive out the Gershrites or the Megathites. The warning to this action of unbelief, the warning to their disobedience, is recorded for us in Deuteronomy. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy chapter 12. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, for every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Last Sunday night, Greg Stouffer preached from the book of Deuteronomy, and the challenge that came down to us at the end of the service, through the whole part of Deuteronomy and and the application at the end was don't forget about your God. And now in chapter 13, verse number 13, we, we see that the sons of Israel did not dispossess. God had given them the warning, but Israel had failed to remember God's instruction. Now maybe, if you're reading quickly through the Scriptures, maybe this doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But the fact of the matter is, incomplete obedience usually doesn't seem like a big deal. Incomplete obedience usually doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Why? Because incomplete obedience doesn't always bring an immediate crisis. And that's how it happened for Israel. We'll see several of these kinds of hints through the rest of the book of Joshua, statements that reveal their obedience was not complete. But it's not until a later time that the true crisis hits. It's easy to see in the lives of children, right? Hey, Jimmy, put those toys down and come over here. Jimmy puts the toys down, but Jimmy doesn't obey completely. He doesn't come over here. Jimmy's incomplete obedience didn't bring a crisis immediately, but one day, Jimmy will reap difficult consequences because he hasn't learned to obey completely. Incomplete obedience rarely brings immediate crisis. Often, we see that Christians are strong during times of crisis, that they remain steadfast in the fiercest of this life's storms. But lack of endurance and tenacity required for the smaller details often show up in those smaller details of the Christian life. We are often loath to be faithful in what we what we regard as little or minor in the Christian life. A snide comment to your wife about her being tardy probably won't bring an immediate crisis. Overeating at a single meal probably won't bring an immediate crisis, probably. Making a few unnecessary purchases isn't likely to throw you into financial difficulties or, or distress immediately. But honoring your wife, using self control over your appetites, financial stewardship are all instructions for the New Testament Christian. We are often loath to be faithful in what we regard as minor. But, my friends, it's always the right time to do the right thing. So taking a single look at an inappropriate sexual image doesn't tear your marriage apart immediately, but it leads to further sin. It creates space for more lust and eventually puts your marriage at risk. Using God's name in a haphazard way, taking his name in vain, Doing so once doesn't mean that you are far from God, but it does tear down your respect for who God is, and it can lead you away from the first and the greatest command to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Waking up one morning and being unsatisfied with your car or your house or your phase of life doesn't mean that you don't love God, but learning to be content with whatever state you are in is important in your efforts, at laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt. The Apostle James reminds us and warns us, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted for God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, for he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. My friends, chase sin out of your hearts. Don't be content to allow the so-called smaller sins or minor sins to take up residence in your life. Be vigilant in your fights against the evil one. Beloved of, of Harvest Bible Church, ask God today to reveal to you ways in which you are not completely obeying Him. Maybe sins of omission or sins that you have committed. Ask God to show you, to convict you of ways in which you are not completely obeying His plan for you. God has given to you His word that describes what a life uh, that has been transformed by the gospel should look like. Make a choice by God's grace to obey with completion. And this is where we see the tension between God's action and our responsibility. That's, that's the tension that we see throughout the scriptures, throughout the, throughout the whole Bible. Uh, God's responsibility, God's action, and man's responsibility. God had promised Israel, verse 6, that he was going to drive the inhabitants of the land out. But at the same time, Israel was responsible to possess it, to occupy it, to go in and to dispossess the inhabitants. They failed to obey. Their unbelief, their disobedience, didn't bring an immediate crisis, but eventually it was problematic for the nation. So, see this morning the negative example of Israel, and then see this morning the positive, the perfect example of Christ. God had a plan for our rescue, a plan that included the death of his one and only son as payment for the sins that you and I have committed. And God had a plan to raise his son from the dead and to deliver him from from death itself. But at the same time, Jesus had to obey. Jesus had to go forward with that plan. And he did. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet he never sinned. And then Jesus continued in his obedience. And he was obedient all the way to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Because Jesus was completely obedient. He obeyed in whole the Father's instruction. The blessing of salvation comes to all those that God is drawing to Himself. All of those who call upon the name of the Lord. Friend, the enemy of inheriting God's blessing is unbelief. It's our own ways of disobedience. If you have gathered with us this morning and you have not yet trusted in Jesus, if you are not currently trusting that Jesus completely obeyed God the Father and that he did this in your place in order that you may be rescued from the penalty of your sin. If that is your situation this morning, then I invite you, I issue to you an invitation to respond to God's gift and to call out to Jesus to repent and to believe in Christ. Christian, for us, the call from verse 13 is to pursue complete obedience in the Lord. We don't need to obey in order to be, to be saved. We don't need to obey in order to stay saved. Jesus obeyed for us. So we obey out of gratitude for, what, for our salvation and in order that we may enjoy the full blessing of God on our life. God has a perfect plan for you to inherit His blessing. The enemy of inheriting His blessing is our own unbelief. But now let's thirdly look at the fuel To inheriting God's blessing. In verses number 8 through 33, they are filled with details about boundaries for Reuben and for the tribe of Gad and for the half tribe of Manasseh. Lakes, rivers, valleys, plains, towns, all bunched together in these verses. Detail after detail after detail about the inheritance that Moses had already given to these two and a half tribes east of the Jordan. But it wasn't just that Israel got the land. Someone can say, I bought a house on, at 123 Elm Street. But the legal record says something like, lot 56 in block 212 in uptown uh, unit number 23, being a subdivision of the southwest corner of the southeast quarter of section 18, township 34, North Range 8, east of the 6th Principal Meridian, according to the plat thereof, recorded on this date as document number 987345 in Book 42. That's what the legal document would say. Here's the point Israel's God had not only promised this land to them, he had carefully, he had meticulously prepared it and parceled it out. For each of these tribes. Moses had informed them of the inheritance that was theirs. But there was this responsibility to claim it and to clear it and possess it. What would fuel them? What would push them on to go and to inherit and to possess the land that God was blessing them with? What would fuel their efforts? It was the faithfulness of God. Woven all the way through verses 8-33, through 33, all these details, it's the repeated reference of Israel's victory over Sihon and Og and Balaam. And what do we see when we think of, what what would Israel think of when we have these repeated victories over these three enemies? It's the faithfulness of God to give them those victories and to bring them to this point. What would fuel their effort to go in and possess? It's the faithfulness of God. Israel was not only receiving information about boundaries, they were also being reminded of the victories that Jehovah had already given to them. And those memories fortify their faith in the face of new enemies. Hearing again about God's faithfulness is what fueled these tribes in the remaining tasks of inheriting these blessings. One person put it this way, this is the biblical prescription for faith. Faith finds both steadfastness and expectancy by rehearsing and retelling Jehovah's past acts of faithfulness. My wife has two brothers serving as missionaries in two different countries in Asia. And they synchronize their their stateside time so that every four years there is a family reunion. And we were at that reunion for the first six days of July. Sixteen children, all under 15 years of age. So it was, it was organized chaos. And sometimes it wasn't even all that organized. Super wonderful time. We were grateful to attend. Lots of memories. On three of those evenings, we gathered everyone into one room, and we handed out hymnals. We sang our favorite older and contemporary songs that pointed us to the steadfast faithfulness of God. And on the final night, we kicked out all the kids, and it was just the grandparents, matriarch and patriarch, as we called them, their four adult children, and their four adult children's spouses. And comments were made about the next gathering in four years. Would we all be there? Would some of us be with the Lord by then? Would all of us be with the Lord by then? But we ended that late-night meeting with unanswered que- those kinds of unanswered questions. But we also left that meeting refueled, as it were. Rehearsing God's faithfulness over the last four years to each of us. Rehearsing God's victories and faithfulness to us over the last decade or two. It fortified our faith in the Lord as we now look forward to new challenges to new tasks, to new things that he calls us to in the days and months and years that lie ahead. We would leave from that place fueled not by what we had had our own strength or anything that we could have. We left fueled by the faithfulness of God in our own history. Beloved of Harvest Bible Church, rehearse to yourself the faithfulness of God. Speak to one another about God's Repeated and unrelenting faithfulness. His steadfast love. He is a strong God. He cannot forsake you. His goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. You can run to Him over and over and over again. You can lean on Him. He is able to uphold you. Day by day. Year by year. Decade by decade. Century after century. Jehovah God has remained faithful to His children. And that faithfulness is what spurs us to continue on. God has a perfect plan for you to inherit His blessings. Incomplete obedience, unbelief, it's the enemy of inheriting God's blessings. Remembering His faithfulness is the fuel to receiving His blessings. But one final note, the beauty of inheriting God's blessings. Look at the final note. Let me look at verse 14 first. Only, so he's giving all this instruction, all these boundaries to the tribes. Verse 14: only unto the tribe of Levi he gave none inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are Levi's inheritance, as he had said unto them. And then the last verse of the chapter, verse number 33: But unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. Levi was the tribe that God had had designated to serve as priests, to serve the nation by leading in spiritual ceremonies that God had instituted, that he had outlined for them. And Levi would not receive a certain portion of land like all of the other tribes. Instead, they would serve the entire nation. Israel's true inheritance, as it is mentioned here for Levi was not the land that God had given them. The true inheritance, the beauty of inheriting God's blessing, was God Himself. Psalm 142, verse 5 says, I cry to You, O Lord. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Psalm 73, verse 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and my portion forever. Israel did get the land that God promised. But the beauty of the inheritance sees past the gift to the giver. Israel would be wise to never cherish the gift over the giver. Lamentations 3.24 The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, while I hope in Him. It wasn't the land It was the God who gave them the land. When my dad turned 15 years old, my grandfather took my dad down to some jewelry store in Galesburg, Illinois, and bought him a 10-karat gold ring with an oval black onyx stone in it. When I turned 15, my dad pulled me aside, and he gave me this ring that his dad had bought for him on his 15th birthday. Last October, when my son turned 15, I pulled him aside, and I gave him this ring that my grandfather had given to my dad and that my dad had given to me. Now, I doubt there's too much monetary value to that ring, but nonetheless, it's a treasured inheritance. We do care about the ring. We would hate to lose the ring. Don't forget that. We'd hate to lose the ring. But it's not precious to us because it has a lot of value. It's precious to us Because of the giver of the ring. We treasure the giver over the gift. The beauty of the inheritance was not the land. Not the gift to Israel. But the giver of the gift. Jehovah God. Christian, are you cherishing the gift over the giver? Perhaps God has dropped into your lap some blessings. Children that love God, the blessing of, of musical talents, the blessing of financial resources, whatever the case may be, you can fill in the blank with the blessings that you have received from God. Never cherish those gifts over the giver of those gifts. The beauty of our blessing from God is found in God Himself. So it goes without saying that no number of dollars is the right number in hopes of an unexpected earthly inheritance. Nothing in this life will bring full satisfaction. But God does have a perfect plan for you to inherit His blessings. In His grace, God sent His Son to be the one to provide a way for you to inherit the ultimate, the greatest blessing from God. First Peter 1 records it for us. harvest bible church trust your christ obey your god treasure your christ for in christ every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places